This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. There's been a sense of desperation around Ontario's dire COVID-19 situation, which is highlighted by rising case numbers and hospitalizations. In the wake of Premier Doug Ford's announcement a week ago yesterday, scientific and public health leaders spoke out about the Ford government's failure to implement provincially legislated paid sick leave for essential workers and the apparently misguided decision to instead close playgrounds, golf courses and basketball courts while increasing police powers. Not even 24 hours after that announcement, the Premier walked back the playground closures and added police measures. On Monday, Libby Snymer was joined by a panel of experts to discuss the worsening struggle with the third wave. Dr. Colin Furness, infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information, Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious disease and infection control physician at University Health Network, and Dr. Amal Verma, a staff physician in general internal medicine at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. Things are okay. I think you're right to convey the seriousness you know, using words like dire, we are facing difficult times at the same time. And our, 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 you know, intensive care units are very full. Our wards are busy. But I think an important message that I want to convey is hospitals are functional. Hospitals are working. And if people are sick or having urgent symptoms, please come to the hospital. Don't think that you need to stay home to save a bed for someone else. Uh, we know that in the first wave of the pandemic, People with heart attacks and strokes stayed home and suffered and got sicker. And that need not be the case. So if you have serious medical illness, please come to the hospital. Your doctors are there. They are ready to take care of you. Um, But of course, at the same time, yes, things are very busy and challenging in the hospital sector right now. Okay, to to back up your message, uh, full disclosure on my part, and uh, Dr. Vaisman, uh, big shout out to UHN. Uh, people will know I've been away for a couple of weeks. The reason I was away was that I had a medical emergency. I went to emergency at Toronto General Hospital. I got excellent, wonderful care. I was in the hospital for about a week. Uh, and uh, everything is uh, much better now. And um, so, yeah, just backing up that message. If you have an emergency, you should go to the hospital. Dr. Vaisman, so uh, how are things going there? You know, one of the things I, I was also amazed that, you know, there wasn't really, from what I could see, a, a sense of, you know, panic or, or anything like that. Things were, on the emergency basis, kind of under control. Yep, I, I think uh, as Dr. Verma mentioned that things are, um, the pressure is definitely on and things are steadily going to get worse, but certainly all that medical care can be provided. And that's a lot in part due to the leadership and also because many of our frontline staff have, you know, rolled up their sleeves and have done their part to help out wherever is needed. 
now the, the mindset has changed, and uh, the public needs to be aware that the mindset has changed in hospitals to redirect as many resources as possible to look after the patients who are coming in for, with COVID, and that has resulted in a significant amount of stress on the system. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly know that there's a s- stress on the people working there, and, you know, when you, when you hear uh, about beds or anything like that, uh, you know, you need, especially in ICU, you need very qualified people to staff those beds. It's it's not everybody that can do that, um, you know, and, and we keep hearing these stories about people being redirected far away from their families, which is very, very difficult. Uh, Dr. Furness? I think that adds a huge layer of stress on onto people who are already extremely concerned. And we know that people who are most likely to get sick and be in that position are also essential workers. They're marginalized. They're racialized. I think this would be absolutely disorienting, and it's tragic. Dr. Vaseman? Uh, I think everyone needs to realize that there's a definitely a crisis situation going on in the hospitals, and everyone needs to do their part in order to prevent further transmission. But as Dr. Verma mentioned earlier, it's definitely safe for people to come if needed. Dr. Verma? There will be an end to this. It's a couple of more months we need to get through, you know, reduce our contacts, work together, get vaccinated, and there will be an end to this. It's always darkest right before dawn. Okay, Dr. Furness? People who've had one shot should not see that as a license to take risks in terms of exposure. You can still get it. You can still get very sick. It's been documented. Wait. Let's wait until community transmission drops. Let's wait for that second shot. Dr. Colin Furness, infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information. Dr. Alan Vaisman, infectious disease and infection control physician at University Health Network and Dr. Amal Verma, a staff physician in general internal medicine at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. The provincial PCs at Queen's Park have insisted all through the pandemic they've been listening to the scientists and following their advice. But many experts on the Ontario Science Advisory Table are on record saying Premier Doug Ford and his cabinet ministers have not been listening. Nowhere was that more true than the fiasco a week ago Friday, which had the government closing playgrounds and increasing police powers rather than doing what the public health experts continue to recommend, paid provincial sick days and narrowing the definition of essential workplaces and closing those that are not really necessary. Some of that announcement was walked back. And then later in the week on Thursday, the premier offered a tearful apology for getting things wrong and promised some sort of paid sick leave without providing details. Earlier in the week on Tuesday, Libby was joined by Dr. Peter Uni, scientific director of the province's COVID-19 science advisory table, to discuss. Uh, remember, one of the challenges we have now, of course, is if these businesses or facilities are closing and people need to stay home, we again, of course, have a challenge then financially. Uh, will they be salaried or not? Well, that that's true, but for the businesses that will also be shut down, they this might give them the incentive to pay for sick days, to pay for time when people are going to get vaccinated and, and all yes. of that to prevent being shut down. Because you know what? 
the places that are essential or so-called essential, well, they're doing pretty well. Yeah, look, uh, you're completely right with what you're saying. We need we need just to make sure now that we that all of us just take this extremely seriously. And you're right with the incentive. Um, if they take it, you know, the right way, this means they have their their own interest to be as you know safe as possible now. And we know that this has slipped, you know, in the past. I've heard, you know, descriptions from my colleagues, you know, in different situations. If we can get back to to a situation where we really take this seriously, you know, simple stuff such as if you really have to be in an essential workplace that really uh, the employers make sure and support that everybody wears a mask and everybody is able to uh, keep social distance or physical distance of two meters. If this works, this already makes a big difference. It is the employers who actually need to reinforce this message, work with their people, etc. And it's it's, uh, important that we all get this right. And as you say, this is an incentive. If your business is actually getting closed, if you have an outbreak or so, A, it will really be the right thing, you know, from a pandemic control measure. But on the other hand, it also makes clear also to employers, okay, we need to take it seriously now. We had those uh, fairly draconian measures that were announced Friday. They were walked back. Uh, Do you think, in your opinion, they haven't walked back, though, uh, closing golf courses and tennis courts? Do you think that's necessary? No, it's not. I mean, if we know uh, about the characteristics of this pandemic, meanwhile, I think it has become amply clear that outdoors is considerably safer than indoors. People on a playground, for example, should be with mask, period. And uh, physically distance the parents, uh, the parents, for uh, for example, as much as possible. Um, what you're saying, of course, doesn't make much sense. If you think about the tennis court, obviously, last time I checked, tennis players are actually quite far away from each other. Yeah. As long as they don't congratulate themselves, you know, after the game and uh, do handshakes and, uh, and embrace themselves, all is fine. Uh, so, so we just need to be a bit more pragmatic and a bit clear about how to make outdoor space as safe as possible. And that's absolutely doable. Dr. Uni, I, I know that you were very frustrated last week and you were thinking of quitting. Uh, uh, I, I can tell you that uh, a lot of us are very glad you decided to hang in there. But uh, how are you feeling about it all right now? Yeah, well, just to clarify that, I actually wasn't frustrated. I was just quite desperate, to be honest with you. And, you know, it was just um, what we saw last week just showed that there was a certain misunderstanding about what this pandemic is all about, you know, the epidemiology of the disease. And uh, while I was ready to let go, I do that when I'm in these sorts of situations. You know, we sometimes need to be ready to let go what we're doing just to figure out is it still the right thing if we continue. And it became then clear, uh, you know, just while listening to myself, but also listening to my friends, it would not be right if I, you know, now let go and step down. Um, And, you know, we're ready to go. We're ready to help. And we just need to move on and we need to fix this. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the province's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, in conversation with Libby on Tuesday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the AstraZeneca vaccine becomes the Gen X Zeneca shot. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The biggest ticket item in the Trudeau Liberals' federal budget this past Monday is child care. But there was an announcement in the budget related to long-term care, which has been devastated by COVID-19. Advocates, including the Zoomers group CARP, have been calling for national standards for long-term care. Finance Minister Christian Freeland announced $3 billion will be set aside to help create national standards for LTC. But how much of that money will actually go to fix problems remains unclear. There is now a date of summer 2022 attached to the promised 10% top-up to old age security, along with a one-time $500 taxable grant for people 75 and older this summer. Our strategy panelists commented on the federal budget, which many are seeing as an obvious election-ready document. As she does every Tuesday, Libby spoke with Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Souza, former Ontario Liberal Finance Minister. I got to tell you, there's a lot of fiscal and economic challenges. Uh, she's obviously doing a budget to support uh, her minority or to support Trudeau's minority government to get the NDP to buy in and the Greens. It is a kind budget to many. There's a lot of spending for sure. Question is, you know, the sustainability of all the program spending that's happening. And there's two forces at play for her. She, you know, on the one hand, they're trying to support the, 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 the pandemic, while at the same time, look for a recovery plan to increase economic activity. Um, but there's deficits. And there's not just a federal deficit. I mean, there's also provincial implications. And, you know, economists like Don Drummond have commented on the shortcomings of some of these budgets. But I feel for her it's, it's a tough spot. Hasn't been done in two years, and uh, I, I say we, we uh, mind you, it's also something that's prevalent around the world. All budgets around the world are in the same predicament. John Capobianco, uh, my, my question about consulting, obviously one of the things that we are most concerned here is this question of national standards for long-term care. Is it possible that that whole $3 billion is just for studies and consultants? From, from the perspective of the budget, Libby, I would say, look, you know, extending some of the programs that are covid Related, I think, was good news. Um, it's certainly expected, and, and, and welcome news to small businesses and, and those individuals that that need it. I think that that insurance that they're going to be extending those until I think the fall uh, is, uh, is is welcome news. But when it comes to national standards, you know, there's a couple of things that they missed. Right, they missed the pharmacare, which was a big item that uh, that the NDP Jagmeet Singh wanted to see in the budget, and it, I think it, it barely got a mention, if if, if not, uh, if, if just a couple of mentions. But the childcare, to, you, to your point. Uh, is, is another one of those big, big items that the government is talking about with respect to national standards and stuff. And, and there was some level of, of need because of what we saw from the pandemic and, and the challenges that long-term care facilities and, by the way, child care and, and other facilities were, were having. So the federal government needed to sort of look at maybe putting national standards to, to those areas. But when you start talking about studies uh, and, and, you know, paying consultants to look at that, that to me it sounds like years away 
Uh, and I think that's where the frustration in this is, Libby, and that is people are going to look at this and say, well, there's no action item on this. There's no particular timeline. You know, we're talking about studies and, and, and looking at committees, and, and, and that's always a liberal code for, you know, obfuscating and putting this thing down for, for years to come. So I don't know if it's ever going to get done. Karen, you know, John just mentioned Pharmacare. This budget is all about childcare, the last one, Pharmacare, but what's going on? <laughs> I guess they felt that they ticked enough boxes, they didn't need to tick the pharmacare box. Um, but what is concerning, I mean, there's a lot of things that are concerning, of course, and one is that it's great to make a federal announcement about childcare, but it's completely dependent upon the provincial buy-in. Um, it's another thing to make a, an announcement about pharmacare because they actually could deliver on pharmacare. And so it, it's one of those things you just have to wonder how much of this is really going to, um, their big pronouncements, their, their big aspirations, but... To your point, you know, if we look two or three years down the road, will the needle have moved around child care? Will it have moved around long-term care and, and how the national standards have been developed? Because for heaven's sakes, that has been studied and studied and studied over the last 10 months. I don't know that there's anything more we can learn about what is required to elevate that standard of care in assisted living and senior facilities. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Charles Souza, former Ontario Liberal Finance Minister. Fight Back's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. There was a big change this past week to the eligibility age for the COVID-19 AstraZeneca vaccine. People 40 and over are eligible to get the AZ vaccine in pharmacies and doctor's offices, revised down from the previous age eligibility of 55+. plus. Part of the reason for the change was that some people in the older age groups were electing not to take that inoculation, waiting for a shot of Pfizer or Moderna instead a strategy that is very contrary to the best medical advice. The biggest issues around AstraZeneca are confusing, conflicting communication about the extremely rare risk of blood clots. Here at Zoomer Radio, a number of on-air personalities have gone public with their choice of the AstraZeneca vaccine, including Libby Snymer and yours truly. On Tuesday, Libby was joined by pharmacist John Papastergio, owner of Shoppers Drug Mart locations on the Danforth here in Toronto, to talk about the change of eligibility for the AZ shot to 40+. plus. It seemed like the demand was starting to wane a little bit uh, amongst the seniors group, but by opening up the age demographic, uh, you know, I got here this morning and there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a full agenda today. We're taking, you know, uh, appointments now, uh, scheduled appointments, but it is going to be a packed day and the phones uh, won't stop ringing here today. So it seems like, yeah, the demands come back. The vaccine itself has gotten a bad rap. Uh, you know, I think we've got to do the, you know, the best we can to get the message out that the vaccine, the vaccine is safe. You're very right. There's been a lot of you know, confusion around the age groups and clotting and, you know, what should we do? But the reality is when they call your number, get vaccinated. That's the most important thing. I mean, we've got these variants that are flying around now as well. It's uh, uh, it's such a shame. I've had a case here, Libby, where 
I had uh, a patient pass on the vaccine, and I, I found out subsequently that she's uh, in the ICU. So, oh, no. Yeah, so you, you're, we're starting to hear stories like this. I mean, it's, uh, it, there's no, no reason to pass, especially in the uh, age cohort we're looking at now, 40 and over. It's absolutely safe. Come in, make an appointment, get vaccinated. Are your pharmacies uh, some of the ones that are going to be open 24 hours to do this? We're bowling that around right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, possibly. Maybe I'll keep you posted on that. Um, we're a pretty busy location, so I, I, I'm not sure as of yet. But I think uh, there will be a list of pharmacies that are going to go uh, 24 hours. Uh, I think it lasts to the convenience, the accessibility. Uh, it'll give us some more time to get to uh, all these patients. But I think... Uh, you know, we've seen it already happen a few times during this pandemic. The demand starts to wane, and I think that's what's disappointing. I think what we need to do is really get that message out. If you haven't been vaccinated, get in, get vaccinated. Please don't shop for vaccines. It's not going to work in your favor. We don't have consistent supply yet. It's very, very hard to predict when you'll have access to something like Moderna or Pfizer, uh, you know, and there's a lot of misconceptions around the different vaccines already. I've got to say, my opinion, science should not be interfered with. But when you're a body like NASA, you have to understand that the timing of your pronouncements is going to have an effect on the public and not in a good way. Oh, I agree. And I think the amount of time I've spent between uh, vaccinations having to explain the same thing over and over. And, you know, I, I don't I don't blame the patients for getting mixed messages. Right. And uh, that, that causes confusion. And then. We have to spend a lot of time uh, having to kind of quell uh, uh, those fears. And, you know, we could be giving more vaccines during that time. And I think we need to ask you to come out with strong, strong recommendations, stick to it, and uh, let's get the Canadian public vaccinated here. It's getting a little bit ridiculous. Pharmacist John Papasturgio, owner of Shoppers Drug Mart locations on the Danforth. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Rachel in Brampton phoned to talk about her workplace and her experience with COVID on the job. I work in retail, curbside with an employee. Last month, we had about six cases. Employees are very relaxed because no customers inside, right? And I'm just saying, either uh, vaccinate everybody in the retail, who works in retail, because we're about six cases. And that, you know, even though it's closed and it's curbside, they could close the outdoor and everything, but the main transmission is really people working in a non-essential area like warehouses and retails and things like that. People are not getting vaccinated. Ron in Guelph called with a criticism for the Ontario NDP leader. I drive a school bus. I talk to the teachers. And for the most part, at least in Guelph, we don't have an issue. I got a school with 
about 400 kids and one kid tested positive. So, um, and then Andrea Horwath comparing this whole thing where, uh, well, there are people in, in um, conservative writings are getting vaccinated first. This is nonsense. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Bubbles in Toronto. Actually, we called her to wish her a happy 100th birthday. To tell you the truth, it's hard to believe <laughs> that they let me live that long. My kids even let me live that long. So I guess I guess I wasn't too bad a mother after all. <laughs> you sound very chipper. You sound active. Like, what's your, you know, when people turn 100, of course. Well, the good, big... ge- good genes. I've had, I have good genes. And I'm blessed with my brain still working most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to be positive, and uh, it's hard these days. I, though I'm going through what everybody else is, just hoping everybody is going to be well and we all get back to some kind of normalcy. But uh, as, like I tell my uh, kids, each day is one day closer to the end of this whole horrible thing. Mm-hmm. I knew I'd get phone calls, but I can't just believe what's going on here. My children <laughs> have arranged things. It's, it's unbelievable. So, uh, but, you know, it's a, a, a hundred years, that's what it is. And uh, and it doesn't feel like it. I have to tell you, it's gone through very, very quickly. What can I say? Everybody out there, enjoy yourself uh, uh, the best you can. Happy 100, Bubbles. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown. Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.